Welcome to Season 1, Episode 3 of Jesus in Montreal, a podcast of the Presbyterian College. Through this podcast, we are exploring the theme of Christian identity in Montreal. We are sharing stories of faith and work and music and ministry in this unique context, asking, where is Jesus alive and bringing hope and joy and transformation in the city? Our host is Roland DeVries, principal of the college, and our guest for this episode is Jenna Smith. Jenna was born and raised in Montreal, and for the past 15 years has directed the Innovation Youth Centre under Christian Direction, Montreal. She is passionate about the intersections between faith, community, and urban work amongst those who live on the margins of our society. Another important part of her ministry is helping fellow Christians in local churches do the same, understand who their neighbors are and how to best serve them. We are pleased to welcome Jenna as we explore with her what it means that Jesus is in the city, with the church, and among the marginalized. Welcome to this episode of Jesus in Montreal. So, Jenna. Hello. (laughs) Uh, Welcome. Uh, Really glad to sit down for a conversation. And uh, um, I've known of you for a little while here Mm. in Montreal. As you said, it's a small... It's uh, a small community. It's a small community. (laughs) And so I've I've known a bit of your work um, with Christian Direction. Mm -hmm. And uh, so... I've always been intrigued by it, and uh, I mean this this podcast that we're we're starting um, is is about I think recognizing and celebrating that there are some pretty interesting and unique things happening here in Montreal in terms of the life of the church and the life of Christians and and those who are seek, seeking to embody uh, the love of Christ mm-hmm. in, in unique ways. Um, I think there are lots of unique things happening in all kinds of contexts, but there's something special about this city, and so yeah. just trying to lift up some of those stories and people um, mm. and to share together. So thank you uh, very much for taking the time. Oh, thanks for having me. For the conversation. Um, I thought uh, we begin with this quote that I actually shared with you before, um, which is from a New Yorker article in uh, June of this year about Omar C. And you've actually given me the, uh, the pronunciation of his name, <laughs> which I think I had wrong. Um, so Omar C. And so the New Yorker has this uh, a profile of him, and he's the uh, the actor in uh, Lupin, the the well-known uh, Netflix um, series. Beautiful series. Yeah, yeah it I really is. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, so they have this profile, and he begins with this story. Um, he's he's living in L.A. Uh, I think it's in L.A. or Hollywood, um, and he's just walking down the street, and he says, "I see Jesus walking down the sidewalk." <laughs> There's this guy in a toga with a beard, barefoot, walking down the sidewalk. Um, and uh, all the people around him don't seem to notice him. Uh, he says there's you know, the girl walking by with her Starbucks, there's someone else washing their car, and nobody, nobody sees this Jesus figure. Um, and Omar, see, he, he shares that story um, maybe in a, for a different reason than we might want to talk about it, but the reason he shared that story is because he talks about how, uh, in that context, you can be anyone uh, you can mm-hmm. you can be yourself, um, and you're free to do that. And no one pays attention in the sense of, you know, what's going on with that guy or what's their problem. Or mm-hmm. you know, people are free to be themselves, um, which I think is already by itself an interesting thing to reflect on. Probably speaks to the quirkiness of Hollywood too. I mean, that guy was probably just the <laughs> local yoga instructor. Yeah, exactly. So who was Jesus? <laughs> who, who was is Jesus? He? Yeah, <laughs> such a good question. And but but for us, I guess it's it's also this question of like of where is Jesus mm-hmm. um, and uh, that beautiful word kind of incognito um, and so just opening up with that 
that general theme. Um, is that something you thought about, uh, this, this sense of yeah. where is Jesus? And yeah, and I think, so I mean, I've thought a lot about that question since our initial conversations in, in preparation for this. And um, it, I come back a lot to this, this one story that happened to me. It had to have been almost 10 years ago now. Because of the nature of the work that I, I was in up until very recently, so I was um, under Christian direction in a um, youth and family ministry where uh, we worked with, I mean, all, all things considered, we worked with people who were pretty marginalized, um, either struggling with, uh, struggling with economic poverty or um, just issues of inner city existence. Um, and so you, when you work in sort of the margins of life, you wind up looking for, as a Christian, you wind up looking for Christ in, for me anyways, it was in the person or in the expression of care, um, but it was care in unlikely places. So that was always where I was looking for Jesus. And so it was where, where, where is the expression of care in the most unlikely place? Mm. Um, so one evening I was invited to present the work of Innovation Youth to um, a group of ex-convicts or uh, people who were still um, incarcerated but who were on a special program of transition mm. into either you know their parole period or whatnot. I thought, why on earth do you guys want me to talk about what I do with you know kindergartners and on milk programs and teenagers who have dropped out of school. Like, it's nothing to do with your life until their chaplain said, actually, uh, they'll really appreciate what you have to share because they were themselves completely marginalized in their childhood. And so they would, it's a hopeful story for them to hear that there's work being done with, with kids who were like them. And maybe if they had had a ministry such as what you're doing at Innovation Youth, you know, they wouldn't have wound up on the path that they were on in prison. So I go that evening, and it had been at the end of a day, it was an absolutely atrocious day um, at the center that I was uh, directing. And um, long story short, there had been a really troubled kid that we were working with, and we figured out, we walk in one day, and our pet parrot, parakeet, like a little budgie, basically, uh, he was dead, and this kid had killed the bird. We figured that out by the end of the day. So it was just an mm. absolutely atrocious day. We had to call the social workers, and we had to call in police, and that sort of thing. And so I go in quite professional-like, and I just present, okay, here's the programs and services that we do, and, you know, we have, like, school support, intervention, family services, and yada, 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 and all of that. And at the end, they have tons of questions. It was a really engaged and dynamic group. I was not, was, I have very little experience with prison ministry, but it was, it definitely perked my interest. And um, one of the fellows around the circle said, so what's a bad day for you? I just love that question. We could tell, don't tell me about a good right. day. Tell me about right. a bad day. And I kind of broke down, not dramatically, but just sort of let my guard down. I was like, well, today was a really bad day. And I told them what happened. I yeah. was like, they killed our bird. You know, like, like just poor little budgie, you know. <laughs> and I looked around the circle and all of their faces um, softened. And I experienced some of the most tender support and care that I had ever experienced. And there was one of the caseworkers next to me, and she was like, that's really serious, hmm. what that kid did. She would know. And I'm like, right? That's really serious. <laughs> I'm not crazy, am I? You know? And, you know, all of these words, I'm so sorry you went through that. Oh, I'm so, that must have been so tough. I hope you have a good night's sleep tonight. 
So I wound up being completely ministered to by these group of middle-aged ex-convicts or <laughs> detainees yeah. um, in a way that was completely unexpected with just pure empathy and concern hmm. for me. And I just come back to that story over and over going, uh, to me it's just a multi-leveled story into where does Christ show up? What does care actually look like? Yeah. Are we listening to the marginalized? And when we dehumanize people, are we cutting them off? Are we cutting ourselves off from the ex this human experience and divine experience mm. of Christ-like love? Uh, there's nothing more dehumanizing than putting someone in jail and putting a label on them. I understand right. the need for a justice system, but that table was com th those tables were flipped during that evening right. where I was actually receiving ministry hmm. from people who are not allowed normally to exercise that. Yeah, and it strikes me that even as you tell that story, it strikes me that that one of the reasons, and you didn't necessarily do it intentionally, but one of the reasons that that you were able to be ministered by them, one of the reasons they could exhibit the care of Christ for you was mm -hmm. because you, you became vulnerable to them and you put yourself in a position of risk in a way with them. It, again, it may not have been a choice. You may have been exhausted. It was a long day and, <laughs> and it just happened. But it seems like whether unintentionally or intentionally, that's, there's something about that making oneself vulnerable to being cared for that mm -hmm. allows the grace of Christ. And we would, we would want to say, I think, or I would, let me not speak for anybody else, but mm -hmm. um, the sense is that even if they don't know it, they are sharing in the grace of Christ mm -hmm. in the ministry of Christ for you. Yeah, I would I would give that teaching very carefully. For instance, to a, a first uh, a first level or a, a, an undergrad class of pastoral care, like I would mm. give that teaching very carefully because one thing that helped me a lot in my life was was good professional ethics in terms of boundaries and that sort of thing. Mm. But there is something of an asepticization, I think that's the right word, of, of professional care. Yeah. And when you're talking about um, the vocation of ministry the lines do become smudged and we, we have to cross those lines very very carefully but I have found that in the the ways of Christ that I have tried to walk in my very frontline ministry there comes a time when the love your neighbor has to that teaching from Jesus has to be uh, embodied in oneself and you cannot do that by always having an asepticized uh, reach of, of professional care. Right. You you have to put yourself, as Jesus did, in a relationship of mutuality. It's very tricky. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think w with experience and with wisdom, you get better at it without putting the person in front of you in harm's way, and p without putting yourself in right. harm's way. Um, but yes, the moments of tender vulnerability and of accepting to put yourself in a, in a position of relational mutuality the way that Jesus did with the people that he healed, the way he did with his disciples, I think is a, a very rich experience of mm. what a vocational ministry can be. Right. And I guess the, the contrast, and I appreciate that a great deal, um, and it is something that we all have to learn. We all come into, in my context, that is a pastoral formation in some senses and yeah. of, of theological education. Some people come into that with a, a clear sense of who they are and of their strengths yeah. and their capacities. Others yeah. don't come in more vulnerable, and, yeah. and they they are vulnerable, and so we need to and develop so the, that. Yeah, and so they yeah. don't have natural boundaries, and there can also right. be a over identification of your position of care. Yeah, Jesus was always very clear on who he was. There was no doubt yeah. there. 
Um, so, I mean, you know, conclusion, be more like Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Li lifetime. Uh, <laughs> Lesson lifetime, to learn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I, and I guess the other side of that is, um, <clears throat> and I like, I mean, there's a kind of dualism in, in describing it in this way, but on the one hand, we go in with a kind of vulnerability that allows us to be ministered to, and, and in that way, we experience and discern the love of Christ from others to ourselves, and then and that is the that is the ultimate gift, right? And that is the ultimate gift. So I'm I'm thinking hard right now. Like there's, I'm supposed to give a talk soon on uh, mapping our our hurts, mapping mm. our wounds, and the, the the lectionary text next week is the love your neighbor mm. text. So it's like how do you map your wounds starting from that text? And Jesus, what I find what's really interesting is there's these these instances of teaching that are actually quite immersed in people um, who are on the margins and therefore there's wounds and then Jesus ends that series of teachings with love God with all your heart and also mm. love your neighbor as yourself. Um, so the relationship between love and woundedness mm. is I think of this world and of this time and if we bring it back to the city I mean you know I have witnessed in my short ministry compared to others, like, you know, just some very, very intense pain. Hmm. Very, very intense pain. The city draws that out of people. It draws it in. It attracts it. But, I mean, there's, but then there's also with that um, some of the most beautiful stories of, of witness, of mm -hmm. redemption, mm -hmm. of grace, and then of love. So I'm still struggling with it, but you know, is is you know greater the witness of wounding than is it greater the witness of love? Right. Um, and you know, Jesus was the you know the ultimate wounded, right. um, and then the, the ultimate lover. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so I hesitate to take it in this other direction, um, in part in another direction, uh, in part because you know the church has tried so often and insisted on speaking from a position of strength and of competence mm -hmm. and yes. of professionalism as opposed to vulnerability and risk. Um, and, and, and so we don't want to go back to the place of the church speaking in those tones or with right. that kind of um, posture. Um, and yet there seems like there still is a kind of balance between um, becoming vulnerable in the way that you described, that, that is healthy and healing, um, but also doing so with a degree of confidence that, that Christ accompanies us, right? That, that, that we can actually embody the love of Christ for others. Mm. Um, and so this question of how do we, you know, not take that step into the Christendom church that, that speaks with a degree of confidence is inappropriate, um, but still is confident that, that where is Jesus in this world? Well, in some sense, he's with me. Mm. <laughs> not want with me, you know, he's with me. <laughs> like, not in that sense, but um, living that assurance that he is with me um, and that I, I can, by my actions and by my words, embody his grace for others. Um, so is there that side oh, of this Roland, conversation? Oh, Roland, if I mean, if you find the answer to that, let's <laughs> just write the book and retire. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think it's interesting that y you're asking the question under the line of how do we have confidence, mm -hmm. and, and I've, you know, I, don't, I haven't actually thought that through. Um, what what I have been thinking through is what does thriving community look like, mm -hmm. and um, up until very recently. 
how many, how many books have you seen about what a thriving church looks like? Yeah. And let me guess, are we talking about numbers? Are we right. talking about, you know, a full Sunday school, a full children's ministry, uh, you know, an excellent leadership model and all of right. that. And um, more and more, I'm wondering, do we need to th turn that term thriving on its head? Um, and look at uh, thriving in terms of uh, how willing a community is willing to um, do self-reflection, hmm. um, entertain itself through, uh, you know, humor instead of confidence. Right. <laughs> actually, yep. um, it's about midwifing instead of building. Uh, it has to be about uh, accompaniment rather than empire. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, you know, I, I have wondered in terms of some of your, your pondering of the Christ, uh, the Christ church, you know, Christ church being in the middle of society, um, you know, leading, leading the charge mm. in the spotlight. Mm. Can we think about it in terms of mature leaders and servants being willing to go into hard places? Mm. In, the, in incarnating the person of Christ? And can the church stand on the margins with those who are suffering? Mm. And can we call that thriving? Right. Yeah, I appreciate all of that. Yeah, I really do. Um, I think about my own ministry and in the best moments, um, I think it was Rick Watts at Regent College I took a course with. Um, and he, I think it was him who translated son of man, this designation for Jesus. Um, as the truly human one. Um, and I like that idea of, you know, of, of being fully and truly human. And so mm -hmm. being fully and truly human is, is to thrive in the way mm -hmm. I think that you're describing it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think somehow, again, I don't know how far to go here, but I think somehow in my own ministry, when I have been able to become vulnerable, when I have been able to listen and not be the first one to speak, um, there has been a kind of confidence that has so, has backed yeah. that up, and a, a confidence in in my being a child of God, a confidence in um, in trusting that that Christ is present, that Christ is Lord. That's a mm -hmm. hard word um, that we don't always do well with either. Mm -hmm. But there, so there's something of a, a rootedness or a strength mm -hmm. that that we have to be able to look for and describe. And that's yeah. what I'm what I'm wondering is confidence tied to uh, discernment of vocation. Mm. Because notice in nothing that I have said, I haven't said a single time, churches need to become more excellent at providing social services. Mm -hmm. um, what I'm pleading for is for uh, people who follow Jesus um, and communities of faith, for them to rethink their vocation mm -hmm. in, and what that means in terms of following the person of Jesus. Right. Does confidence fall into line after that? Mm. Because they're and you know living out of their tradition um, living out of their tradition and doesn't please you know do, you don't have to change your, your core identity or whatnot right um, but still discerning their place um, in the city I'm a very right. city-minded person yeah. that way you know but s discerning their their role in life with each other according to the person of Jesus um, but turning that, again, flipping the definition of what thriving means, hmm. flipping the definition, flipping their spot in terms of their centrality. I mean, I, I don't know where that happened. 
Um, in Montreal, we might have an easier sell on that, in that especially the Protestant church really never was central. Right. I mean, We're that already was a, on that the margins. Yeah. I, mean, like, I don't know who ever thought that. Yeah. You know? So we've been sort of margined, margined for a while. Margin, right. I'm not going to say marginalized, but margined right. and maybe marginalized in some in some sense, and uh, might as well just embrace it at this point and say, well, you know, here, here's the best right. possible place for right. us to be. God has put us in a place where we can be faithful, in a, in a sense. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, yeah, what you're reflecting on reminds me of a, <clears throat> a chapter in a book um, edited by Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove. I always get his name. I, I never know whether his hyphenated name goes that way or the other way, <laughs> but Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove, there's a, a collection of of essays on sort of 12 markers of mm. um, the new monasticism. And one of them is written by um, a Roman Catholic uh, sister, and she talks about the abandoned places of empire. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and where is Jesus? You know, where is that guy barefoot in a toga? You know, if that's, <laughs> if that's our image well, of Jesus. Well, Matt C saw him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If that's who he is, where is he? Um, and she would want to say he's in these abandoned places of empire. Hmm. Um, and it strikes me that there are all kinds of places like that. Um, and I'm just curious about what some of those might have been for you. So I, you know, I think about, so these are people who don't have spending power. So the marketers right. don't pay attention to them. Right. Um, they don't have power at all. So um, family may not pay attention to them or the community may not pay mm -hmm. attention to them, but that can come to express an expression uh, in so many different ways and mm -hmm. contexts. And I'm just, does that, I mean, you may have heard that notion before of these abandoned yeah. places and where, what, where have you seen that? What are those places for you? I mean, for me, um, again, working in the, the, the line of work that I was in for 16 years. So we were in the Western part of Montreal. Um, the center is currently located in the, in the building of Evangel Pentecostal Church, which overlooks Cabot Square. It's one of the most complex squares in Montreal. Mm -hmm. um, you have a mix of everything. Uh, you have uh, socioeconomic discrepancy, uh, major divides in the neighborhood. Uh, the Trudeau family lives on top of the mountain and then six blocks south you have uh, slum housing. And then at Cabot Square you have unhoused northern indigenous people who have, they're sort of like a diaspora mm. from the north. Yeah. Um, and it's a space that belongs uh, historically and sort of in memory to the Inuit, mm. um, but then you have these cohabitation nightmares going on. Um, so the polarization and the, and then we work with, it's a major landing pad for um, asylum seekers and uh, people who are refugeed and, and, uh, and immigrants. And so it's been no effort for me in that, and I'm coming from that place. It's been no effort whatsoever to see the grace of God and to see Christ and to see opportunities mm. for the people of God in those abandoned pockets of the empire. Mm. Um, I, the stories every day, uh, opportunities every day to see woundedness and mm. then to, um, to, to seek out love. Where is God at work? Mm. Where is God at work in all of this? My world is not a corporate market world, and so I would be fascinated to hear, for instance, from a, someone who's a, a faith-believing uh, Jesus follower, talk about their life as a corporate lawyer, mm. um, and see, like, okay, where, where do you find Christ in the hidden mm. pockets of all of this? Right. Um, so I can only talk to what I know, 
and say that it's to me it's a natural my preferential option (laughs) for finding Christ's presence has always been Hmm. on the margins and it's been easy now if you flip the tables and say to the corporate lawyer where's Christ I could easily imagine him being like, this is a dump. There's no grace here whatsoever. Like, there's no Jesus to be found here. So, I mean, we all see through the lens that we see. And isn't that beautiful that we have (laughs) that human experience, which is so nuanced. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're shifting from that sort of frontline work that Mm -hmm. you've just been describing. Mm -hmm. and, And now you're sort of doing some work, I understand, and helping others think about doing church differently or thinking about yeah. doing ministry differently, which isn't just about a change in program. I think that's already <laughs> pretty clear from what we're talking about. That's so actually going to be my anti-mandate. Yeah, no program, <laughs> no I, c- I, program. I, come, well, I come to the table going, I promise you I will never bring you an agenda or a three-point folder right. on how to implement a program. <laughs> yeah, and so what? where are the, the, the challenging points in your experience with congregations? What, what, are, what are they finding hard about inhabiting the gospel in this new way, the the way that you've described so clearly? Uh, Living incarnationally is very, very difficult. Being aware of immediate geographical surrounding can be very difficult. So Mm. there are, uh, I'd say, a a huge amount of congregations. I I wouldn't even know how to test this, but my guess would be a majority um, who are, uh, you know, especially in in the city and the suburbs can be a lot of commuter churches. So you have like a drive-in to Sunday Mm. experience, and then you don't know what's going on from Monday to Saturday in your immediate vicinity. Mm. Um, So this notion of a church within its community, um, that's a real, that's a real challenge. And so, but that's something that I feel that like from my experience and from my own vocational, um, you know, identity, Mm. that's something that I, you know, I, I can articulate that blindfolded. I can help, you know, like give me a church and give me a street corner and right. I'll be able to figure out the link, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, leadership development, that's someone else's expertise. Right. And so it's good to know what you're good at and what you're bad at. Right. Um, but the challenge now, post pandemic, will be if this was a hard sell before and now with clergy and with um, and leaders and volunteers being completely exhausted. Mm. Um, you know, they can barely get their Sunday, there's a lot of churches who will say like, we can barely get our Sunday morning service Absolutely. together. So how are we supposed to figure out our missional presence? Mm-hmm. So our work is gonna have to be to, uh, again, flip the definitions, mm-hmm. flip the definitions. This isn't about adding on more programming. It's about um, maybe doing some deep soulful thinking mm-hmm. in terms of what your, your own, uh, vocation is. Hmm. Yeah, and it strikes me that the pandemic will have also made that challenging just in terms of the whole online reality, mm-hmm. which we were already, when we were physically present in neighborhoods, we were often alienated from the people yes. next door. And now that, you know, many of us, even I would say still a majority of us are still online, yep. right? Uh, so we're, we're that much more alienated. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess a part of that is also letting the church um, and as a local congregation discern their place but maybe a part of that is also helping individuals where they live to begin to discern their own little communities yeah Um, so one 
one congregation that I've been working with, what they have begun doing, and I'm very excited to see where this goes, but they have begun a whole series of you know, sermons, reflections, and, and pastoring and mentoring along the, the theology of hospitality mm. and how to foster space and hospitality um, in Christ's way with your own neighbors mm. and all of that. And that, I think, one thing that I've noticed Formal gathering right now is a big, tough sell, mm. but hospitality might not be mm. if you can choose who's coming to your dinner table. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and also, you know, like don't have to travel too far. <laughs> don't want, you know. Mm. Um, and we have amazing teaching and amazing stories given to us in the Bible mm. about hospitality. Jesus, I think, was actually a really weird guest in that he was consistently inviting other people to other people's homes. Mm. It would be completely etiquettely a right. no-no today. They were sneaking in the door with him, but he was allowing them to come in with him. It's know, amazing. Yeah. And he figured out how to be both guest and host mm. at other people's homes. Right. I'm, I'm like, okay, the mores of first century <laughs> Palestine right. are obviously very different. It's like if someone showed up with right. three guests in my house, yeah. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah, and why is the guest <laughs> breaking the bread? Yeah, <laughs> like, uh, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we have amazing models mm. for this. Um, the other thing that I'm working a lot on, and I'm, I'm going to be working more with, with teams of people on this, but it's to define what um, urban chaplaincy looks like. Right. And I wonder if that's not the mm. way of the future for mm. church outside of four walls right. and a roof. Right, right. Here I'm gonna okay I'm gonna let you flip this conversation because before we started, <laughs> before we went live, um, you asked a well I'm principal of a theological college and you asked a provocative <laughs> question. <laughs> you weren't gonna let it be about you. You were gonna allow it be about me. So let me ask you a question. I'm not gonna guarantee that I answer it, but what because I think it's it's so it in was line not with everything. planned. All right, <laughs> I didn't come in being like oh he has no idea what he's got. You regret inviting me. <laughs> But I'm going to let you do it, and I'm not going to make any guarantees because I think it's such a good question. So, Okay, so the question was, if you could move your seminary 400 kilometers to the east or 400 kilometers to the west, mm. would your seminary or theological college look any different or teach mm. any different? Right. And that's such a good question. Um, and it, it gets into all these questions of context and, and mm -hmm. what what is Christ doing in a given place? Because mm -hmm. he's not doing the same thing in every place. Because this every, is correct. Yeah. And so uh, how could theological education look the same here versus Kingston versus um, Gaspé or PEI? Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I'll do the classic theology professor thing, which is to say that's such a good question and one we need to, re <laughs> one we need to <laughs> reflect on. Um, Let so, me know how that goes. Yeah, but I do think, you know, I think there are some at every level, um, and it's interesting, our student body is increasingly global. So yeah. at that level, it feels like, yeah, we could kind of be anywhere and be doing a similar thing because our mm -hmm. community will define how mm -hmm. we uh, engage with scripture. It will, it will help us engage with um, the text in a particular way. So we could take this same community of people anywhere and they have been formed in a particular way that makes them ask certain questions mm -hmm. out of their own context. But could we, be authentically a theological college the same in two different contexts in terms of our orientation mm -hmm. to the world in which we live and I mm -hmm. think I think the honest answer right now might be we we would be the same seminary which which carries a judgment 
with it. And well, I, think I appreciate your vulnerability, yeah. Roland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, I think, yeah, I think it's uh, it's such a good question and a hard question, and I think that's the thing about theological colleges is we the theological colleges are wrestling with all the same questions yes, are. that congregations are yeah. wrestling with, and often it's often it's congregations and pastors and lay leaders who are helping are need to be helping the theological mm -hmm. college figure out what it is and and how it's to do its work. So, so basically so. you're passing the buck. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. Jen, I'm just giving you another project. <laughs> another project to help us. Because yeah. the thing, you know, if I can push you a bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's fine that you have a global student body. Hmm. Um, so we've, we've spent the last, you know, almost 30 minutes speaking about like the local Jesus, basically. Yeah. But okay, great, so you have a global student body, so yes, you can, you know, you can draw in from all over and mm. then, you know, maybe use the city to apply teaching. But then if you flip it and say, okay, well then, then what are you doing for the city? Mm. Um, you have, uh, theological schools do have richness of intellect, mm. um, you know, students with time, right. um, structure, building. Yeah. Um, so if, if you, you, I mean, I know that it's very easy to, to be functioning right now as the church and as ministry from a place of scarcity, like mm. everything's so difficult right now. Yeah. And we just don't have enough funds and we just don't have enough this. But there's also like, look, flip it, look at, uh, look at it from a place of abundance. Mm. And it's like, well, we are here. We are in this complicated city, which is bilingual, somewhat mm. anti-religious, mm. you know, yep. complicated relationships with our Ministry of Education, you know, all of the things. Okay, yeah. but like, what, well, what are you going to do for Montreal? Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's the vocation of a theological college. So can a theological college simply, can it still say, well, our vocation is simply to train theologians and pastors? Or is its and vocation a vocation mm -hmm. to this community, to this city? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which, I mean, academia has not had to ask themselves those questions right. until perhaps very recently. Right. Yeah, we've lived siloed existence. Sure, yeah, it's been a luxurious right. position. Yeah, and I mean, like, I I love academia. I I have my masters, and it was a it was a fun time to sort of like nestle up in the library with your books mm. and just enjoy that sort of separation. But I don't know in our polarized world anymore, with you know life sort of crashing around us, if anyone can afford to be yeah. siloed. Yeah. So thank you. Well, <laughs> you really didn't know what you're in. You know, that's, it's all good. Um, I'm glad. Yeah, it's a good question, and I, honestly, I appreciate the question. It's hmm. it's a good one for me to wrestle with. So no no problem. Um, maybe t just as we turn toward concluding, um, this question of our context and the place of of Jesus in this context. Um, I, it's unique place mm -hmm. given the quiet revolution it's a unique place mm -hmm. given the the power of the church um, and the harms done by the church um, mm -hmm. this is a such a unique context i think mm -hmm. in, in that sense um, is there what room is there for saying to people in this context today uh, there's jesus have you have you seen jesus mm -hmm. he's here um, what does that name mean? Maybe is another way of putting it in in Quebec today is can the name be redeemed given <laughs> what the church has done? I'm just yeah. curious about your reflections on such that. Such a such yeah. a good question. Um, I want to be very specific on this and say 
if I was talking to my indigenous friends and my indigenous colleagues, um, we would probably, and I would agree with them, that it's uh, the name Jesus and the church probably needs to, uh, it probably needs to be muted for a while because mm. there's, there's a lot of um, reparations that need to happen there. Mm. So that might be the only, right. yeah, it would be the reparative Jesus. Right. That would be the, that would be the only uh, avenue would be the, the, the Jesus of reparation. And if it was considered harmful, you might want to take the name Jesus out completely. Mm. And that would have to be the sacrifice of, of Christians to say, well, we'll do this without mm. uh, any sort of explicit messaging here. Mm. Um, when we're talking about sort of larger mainstream society, I've thought a little bit about this, and I've, uh, I've talked with a couple of my French Quebecois friends about this in that we've wondered if there's been a, a wistful nostalgia hmm. over a caring, again, I come back to my, my, my ethos of care, hmm. um, sort of the, the caring parish priest. Hmm. And the thing is, it's a wistful nostalgia of something that might never have been. Right. So I love, like, we're, we're remembering a memory that was never hmm. there. Hmm. Um, but I've seen instances in pop culture, TV shows, and that sort of thing. One is, um, I think I told you about this on yeah. Radio-Canada, Les Pays d'en haut. Mm. And uh, they have the, the historical priest, Curie Labelle, Le Curie Labelle, and he's actually very positively portrayed as someone who, you know, he would cut off his left arm and sell it if he could to feed the widow. Mm. Um, apparently that is historically accurate. He really was a, a person of great generosity and vision and mm. all of that. He built the North is what they thought, built and developed the Laurentians um, for farmers and such and, and really, really did quite, he cared deeply, um, albeit in his own broken way. Um, but the fact that we have a 21st century TV show portraying someone who's as sympathetic mm as he, it sort of shows some sort of like wistful nostalgia. Mm. Um, now in terms of what that means in actual catechism or pedagogy, right. yeah. um, or explicit messaging about mm. Jesus and Christ, Christology, mm. I don't know. Yeah. But um, in terms of what society is asking for, in our very broken state right now of mm. um, sort of mental distress and anxiety mm. and uncertainty and polarization, mm. and that what it's being asked for is a sort of memory of care mm. that looked like the old church, right. I think is very interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah, that's, that's powerful. Um, it strikes me that if we talk about context broadly, when we're having this conversation, we're talking about context so narrowly in the sense that uh, everyone has their own memory, everyone has their own experience, their own reference mm -hmm. with respect to Jesus. So that, um, you know, in some ways you can maybe generalize about the, the, the baby boomer generation of, yeah. of Francophone uh, uh, Quebecers, um, that first <laughs> group that sort of walked away from the church and, and mm -hmm. still inhabits that, that transition. But even within that group, I suspect, and in the next generation, the, um, time has passed. And so people are, each person is in a different place. I think I mentioned to you this, when my wife and I were living in the plateau, when we were first married, there was a young woman, 
probably about our age, in her 20s, living upstairs, and we were going to church one Sunday, and she asked where we were going, and we told her we were going to church, and she said, wow, that is so interesting to meet somebody <laughs> who goes to church. <laughs> like, it was foreign to her. Mm-hmm. Um, but it strikes me that, that you know, maybe, maybe each person really is in a different place in terms of how ready they are to, to talk about Jesus or to hear about him or to receive something that maybe care embodied in his name. Um, yeah, I, mean, I would I would love to listen to what a religious sociologist would have to say about yeah. this right now. My feeling is that people will very willingly say that they are spiritual beings, mm-hmm. albeit not religious ones. Um, so is spirituality and quest, is it going up mm-hmm. while religious affiliation is going down? And what will that mean? Right. Um, and so spirituality and quest doesn't necessarily mean that people are willing to uh, sit down and learn about the historical Jesus. Right. Um, again, these are really, really important questions to be asking then of the, the body of, of Christ mm-hmm. believers right. um, in terms of, okay, like there's going to be a lot of onus put then on um, ethics, mm on actions, right. um, on uh, sort of lived, f- outlived faith, mm. outward expressions right. of right. faith of each individual. Embodied. Yeah. Embodied experience, right. um, embodied encounter in the name of Jesus. Those are gonna have to be really, really important. Mm. And it, it strikes me that we've, I can't remember the phrase you just used, but sort of it, it implied to me that, you know, each person is on their own kind of path. Um, and we are used to receiving people into this monolithic thing we call the church, even if it has yeah. been diverse and yeah. you know, full of different experiences. Well, like we establish, still, yeah. establish the symbol yeah. in the center of the village right. and everyone will come in. Right. So the you shall build it and they will come. Right. I don't know if that's true right. anymore. Whereas we're more likely to be meeting people along mm-hmm. the way mm-hmm. with Jesus, finding his way into those relationships and into those conversations mm-hmm. and finding that happening rather than making it happen. Yeah, I mean, it's a great freedom, but that's a great burden right. too. Yeah. yeah. And one, I guess the, the question is whether the church is ready for it, right? It, this goes back to your mm-hmm. work and, and yeah. of, of inhabiting the life of the church in a very different mm-hmm. way. Yeah, and it's going to be scary for those who have decided to put their, you know, make their life out of being clergy, because mm. it's a lot less of a static experience and yeah. much more fluid and organic. And right. so, th- the truth is, is that for those of us who were in ministry, like on Monday to Saturday, like we really had to hit the pavement a lot. Mm. We really had to be outside of the building and hit the pavement. There's a lot of grinding work mm-hmm. that comes with that. It's not going to be easy. It's not enough to just present yourself on a day in a place mm-hmm. and then have a program. Right. So, yeah, great freedom and great burden. Right. Yeah. Something, let's end on this kind of a note, something beautiful you've seen in the past year that you would attribute to the presence of Jesus. Hmm. So uh, we were we were called in very early in lockdown. Hmm. Um, so we had you know we shut down the entire operation the way everyone else did. Hmm. And uh, but then we were called back in at Innovation Youth to open up a food bank. And um, 
during those first weeks, the, uh, the, the structure of that food bank was um, me on my phone and my computer making sure that we had um, you know, infrastructure and resources from the city and from funders. Mm -hmm. But the hands and the feet of that whole thing were, were volunteers from churches mm -hmm. downtown. And I watched um, volunteers from four or five local congregations work together and actually, mm -hmm. you know, this was not just mere volunteering, like give me some carrots and I'll right. peel and chop. This was, this was real work. Mm -hmm. Not that peeling carrots is not real work, it is, but right. I mean, we're talking, you know, building uh, IT systems, um, getting in touch with our ministers of parliament, mm -hmm. um, creating volunteer databases. And we saw an expediency, I mean, we <laughs> I talk with my very uh, woke and very uh, cynical <laughs> millennial staff about, you know, the industrial complex of the nonprofit world, yeah. like, yeah, 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 I hear you. But we saw um, expediency of work during those, I mean, the first lockdown of pandemic was just awful. It was right. really painful. Yeah. But then we, all, we also saw, like, the group of us just incredible incredible stuff, like things that would have taken five years to build and we were able to build in six weeks. Yeah. And the fact that it was, I, I will still, it's one of my proudest moments to acknowledge that it was a group of like a dozen just engaged Christians mm -hmm. who were stuck at home and said, we can, we can do this together, mm -hmm. working together. And they did it from their living rooms and built a food bank that now is, has just received, um, uh, long-term structured financing yeah. to continue and that's really the legacy of the church mm. um, that's very encouraging to me mm. so here we are talking about you know the decline of this and that <laughs> right. and I'm like yeah but also <laughs> yeah and here here it is embodied here it is caring Completely here it is loving yeah. embodied yeah. yeah thank you so much for that and, and for this conversation thank and you for putting me on the spot yeah too, so. pleasure <laughs> thanks thanks to